This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Well, hello to the future from the stage of an Intelligence Squared U.S. debate held in Washington, D.C. in the earliest days of the administration of Donald J. Trump. I'm John Donvan, and in this debate, our proposition is give Trump a chance And to those of you who are watching or listening to this debate after the fact, whether by days or by weeks or by months, know that this debate took place exactly 13 days into the Trump administration, 13 days that have seemed pretty wild to those of us who are here tonight, where a swearing-in was followed by massive protests, followed by a temporary ban on travel from seven predominantly Muslim countries, followed by demonstrations at airports, followed by an attorney general being fired after defying an executive order, followed by Democratic senators boycotting part of the process for confirming Trump's cabinet nominees. And whether things calmed down from day 13 or got wilder still, only you in the future know you know better than us. So let's just say right here on day 13, we can only imagine. Give Trump a chance. We will debate yes and no. And what that means according to values we aim to adhere to at Intelligence Squared, civility, logic, and yes, facts, the old-fashioned kind. And then, as always, our live audience votes to choose a winner, and only one side wins. Our motion is this, give Trump a chance. We have four debaters, two against two, arguing for and against the motion. Let's meet them first, starting with Clive Crook. Hi, Clive. So you are a Bloomberg View columnist. Uh, You write about economics and finance and politics. Not a Trump supporter. You were not a Trump supporter, though you're arguing that side. You wrote that you could never vote for him, but that you want to give him a chance. Exactly. What do you mean by that? Well, I think he's owed a chance. That's what I'm going to be arguing. Uh, I'm not enthusiastic, far from enthusiastic. I'm a pessimist about Trump, but he's owed a chance. That's, That's the system. That's what democracy means. We'll be looking forward to how you make that argument. And tell us, please, who your partner is. Gail Trotter. Ladies and gentlemen, Gail Trotter. Hi, Gail. Hi, John. Welcome to Intelligence Squared. Gail, you are a columnist, a political analyst, an attorney, a full-throated Donald Trump supporter. You live in Washington, D.C. Um, let's point out that in Washington, D.C., 91% of the vote went to Hillary Clinton. So that, does that mean with your friends and neighbors, politics is off the table? Well, no, because I took note that Hillary Clinton won fewer votes in 2016 than Barack Obama won in 2012. So I guess I must be having some sort of impact on my friends and neighbors. Oh, it's all you. (laughs) Okay, Gail Trotter, thank you. And the team arguing for the motion, give Trump a chance. And we have two debaters arguing against it here, making his third appearance as an Intelligence Squared debater. Let's welcome David Frum. Hi, David. Uh, You're a senior editor at The Atlantic. You are a former speechwriter. You are a special assistant to President George W. Bush. Uh, David, you're a conservative. You are arguing against giving Trump a chance, but you were not actually always in the opposition. In early 2015, you said you fell into the category of the Trump curious. Uh, What did you find appealing at that point about candidate Trump? 
Um, as a Republican, I thought a lot of orthodoxies in the Republican Party needed to be shaken up um, on issues from health care, middle-class economics, and immigration. And I thought Donald Trump could be a welcome shakeup. Obviously, it was impossible that he would ever win the nomination, much less the presidency, so there was nothing to worry about. Oh, well. <laughs> How it goes. And tell us, please, who your partner is. My partner is uh, Michael Waldman, president of the Brennan Center, author of books on voting rights and gun rights, but most importantly, our sons went to preschool together. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Waldman. Hi, Michael. Um, welcome to Intelligence Squared. Uh, you also were a presidential speechwriter and special assistant, but you were in the Clinton administration. Uh, you are a liberal, unlike your partner. Um, so it makes sense that you actually would disagree with a lot of what our new Republican president is putting forward. But is there anything that Donald Trump has said that you can agree with? I liked it when uh, President Trump said he would preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution, and it's been kind of downhill since then. All right, so that's your perspective. The team arguing against the motion, give Trump a chance. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome them all. We go in three rounds. Round one, opening statements by each debater in turn. Up first for the motion, give Trump a chance, Gail Trotter, a columnist, political analyst, and attorney. Ladies and gentlemen, Gail Trotter. The question is not, do you like Trump? The question we consider tonight is whether to give Trump a chance. Barack Obama insisted on getting a chance as a newly elected president. Elections have consequences, he said. I won. Giving Trump a chance simply means that we acknowledge what President Obama himself said, that elections have consequences, Trump won, and we can and we should be clear-eyed and realistic about the fact that Donald Trump is president. Giving Trump a chance does not mean endorsing his stylistic approach or approving his policy initiatives. Giving Trump a chance does not necessarily mean that you want his policies to succeed. Giving Trump a chance simply means that you're open-minded enough to allow the new administration to do its job and to succeed or fail on its own terms. Ironically, the failure to give Trump a chance has largely fueled his success. Adversarial media... Overhyped predictions of calamity, reflexive comparisons to autocracy, dictatorship, Watergate, Nazi Germany, these over-the-top criticisms detract from the credibility of his critics, and they reinforce Trump's popularity with those who elected him. Now, Donald Trump has upended the established order of politics, media, and culture in America— I would say he poses an existential threat to the media and government's coziness. Where we had previously selected presidents from the ranks of the political elite, the voters decided to choose from outside of those ranks. In essence, Trump's election stands as a rebuke to the political class. I'm not enthralled with everything that escapes President Trump's lips, Yet I, like the millions who voted for him, became a supporter because of three reasons. His experience, some of his personal characteristics, and his policy positions. President Trump has the experience of a successful businessman with a large part of his success based in the United States. He is not a politician and has never before been elected to political office. Just let that sink in. He has never held elected office before being elected as our president. President Trump's personal characteristics appeal to me. He is patriotic. He is plain spoken. 
No one would accuse him of being politically correct. He is empathetic to struggling Americans, especially to military families. Trump has clear views. He's a family man. He has thick skin. He does not mind criticism, and he punches back twice as hard. Trump understands how to build a leadership team. He is project-oriented. He's 70 years old. He's not focused on enriching himself. He's not made a lifetime of saying one thing and doing something else. He isn't using the government to enrich himself and his family. He desegregated his club in Florida. He has advanced women in his businesses. Trump is not a committed Republican, and that appeals to us, those of us who are fed up with establishment Republicans who run on conservative principles to get elected, and then once they come to the swamp of D.C., they abandon all of those principles. Trump is not bound by ideological consistency, right? Instead, he asks, what will work? Gail Trotter, I'm sorry your time is up. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our motion is give Trump a chance, and here is our next debater. He will be speaking against the motion, David Frum, a senior editor at The Atlantic and former speechwriter and special assistant to President George W. Bush. Ladies and gentlemen, David Frum. Tonight's proposition is one to which it would seem impossible to say no. It appeals to the fair-mindedness in all of us. We want to give everyone a chance. But the core premise is that the things we need to know about Donald Trump lie in the future and not in the past that we do not yet have sufficient information to form a judgment. But we do. We know enough to know what to prepare for. And the action of asking you to withhold your judgment is an action that asks you to waste time in uncertainty when it is time to act to stormproof the republic and the constitution against the most dangerous occupant of the office in American history. (laughs) Donald Trump lies a lot. But to give him credit, he never lies about himself. He has shown the country who he is and what he is and what he stands for and what he will do. We know that he has already decided to run the least ethical and transparent administration in the modern history of the presidency. He has already decided you will not see his tax returns. He has already decided that he will not put his assets in a blind trust and he will not separate himself from his business interests. He has already decided that people who want access to the Trump family will get it if they pay. He has already violated his first pledge to separate his sons from his business. They are mingling with senators. So we know that. It will be unethical. That's a fact. You know that now. The second thing we know is that Donald Trump intends to run an administration that will attack fundamental American liberties. Gail Trotter said it best. Donald Trump does pose an existential threat to what she called the media and what I would call the free media. He rejects the very concept of such a thing. The reason he, and not only he, but those around him, lie so much about everything, about documentable facts, about how many people are in the Washington Mall, um, the reason he tells these lies, partly is for its own ego, but partly it is to discredit the very concept of truth. And that is the foundation, as Gerald Ford said, truth is the fundamental proposition on which democracy rests. We have already... And we have already seen his attempt to create a state media in all but name with his preferential treatment of not only Fox, but Breitbart and Infowars Next, which is soon to be accredited in the White House briefing room. Most importantly, from my point of view, because I do speak as a Republican and as a conservative, we have already seen, it is already a fact, that he represents the gravest challenge to the Western security system of any occupant of this office. He has already said 
that he may or may not honor America's commitment to its NATO allies under Article 5. Having said that, you can never unsay that. That knowledge, that uns- something that was certain, is now uncertain. Nor can you take away the ever more sickening stink of the mysterious but dangerous connection and possible collusion between this administration and the government of Russia. We understand that something is terribly wrong, and we know this administration will not allow us to get to the bottom of it. The call now is not to ponder or to deliberate or to wait on events. The call now is to say, what are the actions that we as citizens have to take to defend free institutions, to defend the traditions of American government, to defend free media, to send, to reassure America's friends around the world that the word of the United States government is still good despite the present occupant of the office. That's our job. Don't waste time. And that is why we ask you to reject the motion tonight. Thank you. I'm John Donvan. Round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate continues in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And a reminder of what's going on, we are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, arguing it out over this motion, give Trump a chance. You have heard the first two opening statements, and now on to the third. Debating for the motion, give Trump a chance, Clive Crook, a columnist at Bloomberg View. Ladies and gentlemen, Clive Crook. So having established my credentials as a Trump critic, how can I be arguing that we should give him a chance? I want to suggest several answers, but the main one is simple. We live in a democracy, and Trump just got elected. Resolving now just days in, to nullify his presidency, to stop him by any and all means, to give him no chance regardless of what he does, is anti-democratic, plain and simple. It says, it says to his supporters, we hate your guys so much that we'll do all we can to make the election void. It says, in effect, we refuse to accept the result, and that's a very dangerous doctrine. Now, give him a chance doesn't mean give him carte blanche. It just means keep an open mind. Oppose him when he's wrong. Trump is going to put America's constitutional system under stress. The courts need to step up. Congress needs to step up. But we ought to acknowledge the possibility that he might do some good things, even that he might in the end be a good president. It's obvious I don't share Gail's optimism on this, but I hear her arguments and don't think they deserve to be dismissed out of hand. Trump has made some reassuring cabinet nominations. Trump's nominee for the Supreme Court is eminently qualified, sufficiently dedicated, it seems to me, to the Constitution and the rule of law, that Trump might actually come to regret the appointment. Trump says he'll bring forward a big increase in infrastructure investment. That would be great. He says he'll force drug prices down by negotiating forcefully with the pharmaceutical companies. Again, that's something Democrats have long proposed. Maybe he'll succeed in simplifying America's insanely complicated tax system. 
Now, I hesitate to mention trade policy because I think his proposals there are nuts. Abandoning TPP, renegotiating NAFTA and all that. But perhaps a few Democrats in this audience quite like those ideas. Bernie Sanders said he does. If Trump keeps this up, he said, I'll be willing to work with him on some things. Well, come on. If Bernie Sanders is willing to give Trump a chance, shouldn't you be? I want to emphasize one last and very important thing. If you're opposed to Trump, your opposition will be more effective if you give him a chance. There are plenty of reluctant Trumpers who voted for him out of exhaustion with normal politics, an understandable emotion in my view. And those people, independents, moderate Republicans, conservative Democrats, weren't encouraged to think again by being called bigots and morons. That kind of opposition, which says Trump is a would-be dictator and his supporters either idiots or evil accomplices, actually helps Trump. This cannot be overstated. Trump is a brilliant manipulator of reflexive outrage. He provokes it, he thrives on it. So give him a chance, not least as a gesture of respect to the 40-odd percent of voters who backed him. Give him a chance not to ease his path going forward, but to do just the opposite, to give his supporters space to have second thoughts. In a democracy, that's how you win the argument. Thank you, Clive Crook. And our argument here, the motion, give Trump a chance. And here to make the final opening statement, and it will be against the motion, Michael Waldman. He is president of the Brennan Center for Justice and a former speechwriter and special assistant to President Bill Clinton. Here's Michael Waldman. This is not a normal presidency, and this is no ordinary time. As you know, David Frum and I come to this through different paths. He is a proud conservative. I'm a proud progressive. But we both believe, and I think millions of Americans passionately believe, that we need to stand up to the potential abuse, to the potential threats to the Constitution, to the potential extremism of this administration and this president. The fabric of our democracy is stretched thin in some very basic ways. So give him a chance. I mean, in a sense, I would say we've already given him a chance. So put aside the ugly, divisive campaign. Please put it aside. Put aside the fact, as David said, that a hostile foreign power intervened in our election to help elect Donald Trump. Put aside the fact that he entered office the least popular president since the invention of polls, having, among other things, lost the popular vote. Put all that aside. Let's only look at what he's actually done since being sworn in. No president in a century has installed an administration this extreme. A chief strategist who previously ran a white nationalist website. A national security advisor who peddles conspiracy theories and who said Islam is, quote, a cancer. An attorney general nominee so far on the fringe that the Senate, controlled by the Republican Party, rejected Jeff Sessions for a judgeship because of racial insensitivity. Just days in, the President of the United States, who swore to uphold the Constitution, started peddling the nonsensical argument that there were three million illegal votes in this country. 
This is not some random guy on the Internet. This is the president of the United States. And no president in the beginning of his administration has provoked a constitutional crisis one week in. We all know, because we've been living through it, that the president's hastily drafted executive order uh, banning travel from seven Muslim-majority countries has provoked a crisis in so many different ways. The order was a travesty. It was basically a tweet turned into an executive order. Four federal judges blocked it one week in. He had to fire the acting attorney general of the United States, who properly and correctly pointed out that the law was illegal. One week in, uh, there are so many things to be concerned about. It is the case uh, that Clive has written eloquently about what a fiasco the president has made of his first 10 days in office. I will only say that uh, given the things you've said, I want to tell you that we welcome refugees. and are happy to have you come over to our side. <laughs> That's the spirit we need. In the last day... In the last day, the president has backed off on his pledge to do something about drug prices. For all those reasons, we say stand up, take advantage of our role in as a democracy as citizens, say no to abuse, and do not give President Trump an untrammeled chance to trash our institutions or our constitutions or the law. Thank you, Michael Waldman. And that again is the motion, give Trump a chance. And this concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. Now we move on to round two. And in round two, it's less structured. The debaters can address one another directly uh, as they take questions from me and from you in our live audience. But to, to, to lay out where we are, we have two debaters, Gail Trotter and Clive Crook, arguing that we should give Trump a chance basic argument being that it's the matter of fairness, that this is a democracy. He won. He won according to the rules. He won with the votes of people who want him to be a disruptor, and that's exactly what he is doing. They argue that to try to bring about the equivalence of avoiding of his election through opposition is essentially anti-democratic. They're not saying give him carte blanche, but keep an open mind. Judge him on what he does, not on what he has done. They also point out the opposition in the long run will be more effective if they give him a chance now. The team arguing against the motion, David Frum and Michael Waldman, we have heard them say this time is different. This is not a normal presidency. It would be exceedingly unwise to suspend judgment on this president, which is what they say their opponents are asking for. They talk about how we already know that Trump has, uh, has crossed too many lines ethically and in terms of his challenges, they say, to the nation's security, to the Constitution, to a free press. We already know enough to, have, to be able to make the decision that he's been given his chance and he has blown it. Those, I think, are basically the dividing lines between the two sides. And the first question I want to put to the side, arguing in support of the motion, and I'll take it to Gail Trotter, is, is your opponent's basic argument that the, the litany of sins that they lay out, that they say that Donald Trump has already committed, are of such breadth and depth that they are already disqualifying, that it's, he's had his chance, essentially. What's your response to that, Gail? Well, I wouldn't agree with any of the points that they made. And I would like to know if uh, they had any of these concerns when Barack Obama was president and was attacking our civil rights. Can I, can I stop a second and jump in? Because the question is giving him a chance. So right, I want to repeat the I question. I think he's putting yeah. out there that it's the fabric of our, con- the fabric of our 
culture is being torn apart because this president is different. So I think my response goes to the very core of their argument, because if they're saying he's different, they have to prove that he's different than the other president. Okay, fair enough point. Let's take that to uh, David Trump. The core argument, here's the core argument on the other side. They allow that there is at some point before voting day 2020 where you're allowed to conclude that Donald Trump is dangerous. Is it two weeks out? Three weeks out? How much stealing is too much? How many attacks on a free press are one attack on the free press too many? And how many allies are you allowed to betray? And how many trade arrangements are you allowed to blow up before we say you're an attack on global leadership? And our argument would be you already know all of those things. Now, if, if Gail approves of what Donald Trump has done, God bless her. It's a free country still. Um, uh, <laughs> let her approve. But do not ask us not to know what we know. That is what let, the affirmative side asks, Clive not Crook. to know what you already know. Clive Crook, please. What I want to know from you is what purpose is served by saying, by resolving and agreeing not to give him a chance. Think about the message that sends the people who voted for him and ask whether it's likely to impress them. Ask whether it's likely to persuade them to change their minds, which is what you should be aiming to do. Michael Waldman. The question is, will those voters be benefited by policies that cast aside the promises that were made to them or that hurt them? I think we all know that the frenetic activity that as Gail said, burst through the established relationships, burst through the way things are done, the uh, magnitude of what is being attempted compels that checks and balances be called into effect. Gail Trotter. I just am still not understanding the fundamental difference that you're saying that this president represents, because it seems like you're saying, well, his voters are too dumb, just like Clive said, to understand that his policies are going to hurt him. And I think that is so disrespectful to his voters who resent being told that the person that they supported should not even be given a chance. David Trump. The practical effect of the give him a chance question, here's a practical question before us. Shall we have an independent commission with subpoena power to find out what the Russians did in the American election? Yes or no? Give him a chance question says you will not know that. We need to know whether this president is right now, actively taking bribes from all over the planet. We need to know that now. It's going on, I believe, now. We need to know whether that's true. Look, because I, I, he, really he will not disclose it voluntarily. He's already told you that. You know right. that the, the, now. But I want to the, give the floor to Clive Crook. This is simply preposterous. The idea that to say give him a chance means we turn off the checks and balances – Neither has suggested that for one second. I pressed exactly the opposite point. We need the checks and balances, and with a president like Trump, we need them more than we've ever needed them before. So by all means, the checks and balances are there for a reason. Use them. Well, again, there should be utter vigilance by the press, which is under assault, by the courts, which have already begun to reject his first major actual initiative that he did, the executive order, by the Congress, where I'm very pleased that Republicans have begun to wake up, as well as Democrats, and by the millions of people who fled into the streets to protest what they see as unconstitutional 
and norm-breaking actions in his first week. To me, that means, uh, of course he's president, but we shouldn't give him a chance. We should be on guard and stand up for the Constitution while we have a chance. Let me bring it to Gail Trotter to respond, and then I want to move on to a slightly different topic. Gail Trotter to respond. It seems inconsistent. David wrote this very long tome on how to build an autocracy in which he says, essentially, that Donald Trump is the second coming of Hitler, but he's not good enough to be Hitler because fascism fetishes hardihood, sacrifice, and struggle, concepts not often associated with Trump. And I think it's so ironic that someone would criticize Donald Trump for making enemies of our allies, you know, using outrage and exaggerated language, and to sit there and call Donald Trump a fascist and the second coming of Hitler is an outrageous right. accusation. Let's let David Trump respond. You wrote this piece. And it said exactly the opposite to what Gail Trotter just said. Um, it, made, it very explicitly says that the threat of authoritarianism in the modern world, and we live in a period of de-democratization, there are fewer democracies in the world today than there were in 2005, is going to be nothing like, nothing like, the uh, totalitarian era of the 1930s and 1940s. But the risks are real, as people in other de-democratizing countries, like the Philippines, like Hungary, like Poland, uh, like South Africa, can tell you. They know what Donald Trump is. They have seen it before. Donald Trump does not want to fight Democrats. Barack Obama is 20 points more popular than he is. He wants to fight the media. And, but the media is indispensable to the functioning of a free society. And a president right, who David, hates them and wants to shut them down, that is a dangerous let's president. Let's take the example of the press because, in, in fact, his, um, his aide, uh, Steve Bannon, has described the press as the enemy. It seems that he wants the press to be the enemy. It does seem – the argument can be made that um, this campaign there to discredit the free press by calling it a partisan press – Understandable why a lot of people think the press is partisan. Nevertheless, um, its its role traditionally has been to be adversarial. So your opponents are saying that that's one example of where Trump has already committed an unpardonable sin. Uh, pardonable gets all legal. Unforgivable sin. Well, <clears throat> but are you seriously contending that the American press is intimidated by Trump? I mean, for heaven's sake, get real. Look at, pick up the New York Times, pick up the Washington Post. The, I, the press is, is doing its job. There is a threat to the free press. Thank goodness it has not succeeded yet. You have the new president <laughs> right. during the campaign saying, let's change the libel laws. You have the new president saying during the campaign, let's use antitrust and regulatory enforcement to crack down on the media companies that are giving me trouble. We just learned that the inspector generals of the agencies, these are the independent people who go from administration to administration and dig into corruption, dig into the kind of self-dealing that we've heard about, that the Trump transition asked them all to get ready to be fired. When the government, not just some reality star, but the government lies and lies and lies, that is itself a threat to the press. And it was astonishing how many lies we heard in the first week. We need to think very seriously about what the word press means in the social media age. Let me give you a concrete example of one way Donald Trump has, has already changed the press. Two weeks before the election, Twitter suspended the accounts of a number of people they regarded as racist provocateurs. I I heard from people in the Trump campaign how outraged the Trump campaign people were and how they were – because some of these people were quite close to the Trump campaign and they were thinking about what they could do. Should there be antitrust actions or some other measures? Shortly after the election, 
um, Donald Trump had a meeting with tech executives. Twitter was pointedly not included. Donald Trump's favorite uh, social media platform. All the accounts were immediately reinstated and given a check mark. Now, if Donald Trump told the New York Times or the Washington Post, that columnist you fired, I like him, put him back on your page, we would all understand, if you don't, there will be consequences. That happened to Twitter. Twitter was forced to publish, again, people it did not want to, under threat, pressure and threat from an administration. That is reaching into and changing the nature of the media as it exists in the 21st century. And see, I have to disagree with that because a lot of times the information that people try to get out on social media is blocked or lowered or, you know, people are banned from Twitter because they have unpopular views. And so, even if you don't agree with any of Donald Trump's policies, the fact that he would be able to speak out for people to have the platform to have the ability to have the same access to stand on a soapbox and say what they want to say, that's a good thing, and we all should support that. I'm John Donvan. Questions from the audience and the results of tonight's debate still to come on Intelligence Squared U.S. I want to remind you that we are in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, your moderator. We have four debaters, two teams of two, debating this motion, Give Trump a Chance. Okay, questions. My name's David Side, and let's assume you're right, and we should give him a chance. Um, the question is, until what? Is it impeachment? Is it when a journalist is imprisoned? Um, until when, quantitatively and qualitatively? Let's take Dr. Clive Crook, please. Um, a, lot, a lot of what I think differentiates our position from the other side is that we have we appear to have more trust in the Constitution. I believe in these checks and balances. I think American democracy is strong. I think the press is uncowed. I mean, the civil service is resisting, judges are ruling against him, and Trump, what can Trump do? He he is bound by the law. Now, if a point comes where he says... I'm not interested in the fact that the Supreme Court has said, I can't do this, I'm going to do it anyway. Then you're talking about high crimes and misdemeanors, and we don't need to wait for the next election. Michael Waldman, your response? I I would say that we need to uh, take issues as they come and resist in real time. Um, the, uh, the civil servants who we just heard were gloriously able to protest. As you probably know, there's something called the dissent channel in the State Department. And the unconstitutional Muslim ban executive order, the dissent channel is required to have no retribution. Sean Spicer, the press secretary, said they can get with the program or get out. These are real challenges, not only to the laws, not only to the Constitution, but to the norms of how our democracy and how our system have to work. But... It wasn't a Muslim ban. If it was a Muslim ban, that would be straightforwardly unconstitutional and it would be struck down. It isn't a Muslim ban because it doesn't apply to all Muslims. And calling it a Muslim ban, even though you know it isn't, is playing into Trump's hands. That's why he said, by all means, call it a Muslim ban. He loves it that you call it a Muslim ban. And I'm not talking about its popularity. I'm talking about its constitutionality. We all saw him call for it during the campaign. He went on television on the Christian Broadcasting Network and the other day and said, don't worry, this doesn't apply to Christians. It does not ban all all Muslims. But it only bans Muslims from these countries. And by the way, I am sure it if it me, gets up to the Supreme Court of the United States, which it has not, it will be found unconstitutional. Well, then, then that will be a good outcome, won't it? 
And that's not the case. A key leader at, in the United Arab Emirates said it is not a Muslim ban. It is not a ban. It is a pause. And it, what you just said about this is why conservatives get so frustrated because you Some sat there and you said that <laughs> the, that Trump said um, yes. Sorry, David. Uh, Trump said that it didn't apply to Christians, and that's not true. And people are saying that uh, in the refugee program that Christians will be prioritized. That's not true. It could actually even apply to some Muslim groups in countries like Burma, where there are Muslim sects, where they are being oppressed in those countries. Uh, and Mike is going to, it's um, second row. Uh, my name is Tyler Humphrey, and I have a question that I'd like to pose to both sides of the debate, which is, um, to what degree, if any, is a president's qualification uh, to be given a chance affected by his administration or his cabinet? I, I think what he's saying is, you, you actually said in your opening statement that he has packed his White House and staff with extremists. Does that, is that a disqualifying? I, I think, I think, I think uh, Michael, Michael, made, said that, sorry. Michael made that point. Is that a disqualifying? I'll, I'll just say briefly, um, I think the Trump cabinet, at least senior positions, looks relatively normal. Um, it, it's a little forward in that normally uh, administrations say one billionaire to a cabinet. Um, a half dozen is typically considered excessive. But... Um, but uh, the Secretary of Defense, the Secretary of State, who uh, would not have been my first. These are very competent and capable people. I think the cabinet, um, on the whole, especially the senior national security positions, reasonably reassuring. The White House is the cantina from Star Wars. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's as if the interview question is, do the people you know tell you whatever else you do, you should never work in government? If the answer to that question is yes, you're hired. Yeah, I would like Go to say, I would like it. to Go. answer, David, that Donald Trump's selection of military veterans is a show of strength and a real uh, confidence booster to military servicemen around the country and to the military families who feel like they've been sidelined for the past eight years. And if you look at the people, the men and women that he selected to put into his administration, people of expertise in areas that he d does not have in foreign policy and military strategy, I think that that should only inspire more confidence in okay. his administration. It, it, it probably gave the men and women in uniform less confidence when they kicked the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of staff off the principles committee of the National Security Council. I need to move on to more questions, please. And I haven't come to this side. Hi, my name is Annalise Tamke. And my question is for the side against the motion. What do you believe are the benefits to um, not agreeing with Trump or not giving him a chance? Do you think that there's anything that would really benefit Americans? David Trump. Um, it, it puts you into the right frame of mind to guide your actions as a citizen. A lot of the things that um, we're afraid of are not actually illegal. Presidents are not supposed to operate like criminal defense lawyers, like go at, like Saul Goodman from Breaking Bad, saying, at what point will the police uh, arrest me and the courts convict me? They're supposed to act uh, with, a, with a bigger ethical compass, and you need to be ready, because it is, uh, the president is already selling access to his office. He's already doing business over deals overseas. Um, he is already um, receiving flows of money. We will never know how much because he won't release his tax return, unlike every okay, president. I in definitely the past want to give the other side a chance to respond to that. Either well, of I, I simply want to say that, you know, the, the, the possibility of impeachment is not theoretical in the U.S. This is a real 
uh, factor in the calculation, as I said before. The question is, how far do you trust the Constitution? The checks and balances are there. And I don't see that we need to be quite so uh, alarmed. Those checks and balances have never been put to the test when the President and the Congress are of the same party. Over here in the corner... Hi, thank you very much. Rachel Evanson-Waldman. At this point, knowing what we know, should we presume, should we give him the presumption that he is acting in good faith? Actually, I think that would be a dangerous assumption. You know, I disagree with so many of his policies. I deplore so many of the things he's said. I'm not willing to assume he's acting in good faith. I think, actually, he has lied. In other words, I do suspect him of, of, you know, uttering intentional falsehoods. That doesn't incline me to say the guy should not be given a chance. We shouldn't close our minds to the possibility that he might do some good things, and we owe the people who voted for him some respect. I take seriously the voters on all sides, seriously enough to debate the issues, to fight hard on the issues, and not just to say, well, the election was over, that's that. Let's see how far this guy can push things before we have to impeach him. Well, that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is, give Trump a chance. And now we move on to round three. Round three will be closing statements by each debater in turn. They will be uninterrupted. Once again, the motion is, give Trump a chance. And here making his closing statement in support of this motion, Clive Crook, columnist at Bloomberg View. I think one thing we can agree on is that Trump's election was partly an act of protest against politics as usual. I'm a British immigrant, as you've probably gathered by now, and I've just returned from a trip to the UK. The country is is bitterly divided over Brexit, the vote to leave the European Union. It's as bitterly divided as the US is over Trump. And I think the parallel is very close. Brexit supporters did a reckless thing something they may come to regret, partly out of a sense of desperation. We can give up on democracy and say it no longer works. I think David's argument comes very close to that. Or we can agree that something has gone wrong and ask how to fix it. The common factor in the US and Britain and in France and in the Netherlands and in Germany, wherever populism is on the rise, is a political establishment that has ignored or disdained a large segment of the population. Certainly, populists draw support from racists and extremists, but don't tell me that all the people who voted for Trump or all the people who voted for Brexit are stupid or vicious and unfit to vote. Recognizing the legitimate concerns of Trump and Brexit supporters is the key to winning them round to normal politics. That doesn't mean pandering to them, but it sure doesn't mean insulting them. The British equivalent of give Trump no chance is ignore the referendum. And I think we're seeing exactly the same dynamic play out in each case. The more that argument is pressed, the more resentful that half or close to half of the population will become, and the happier Trump and his friend Nigel Farage will be. So vote for our side to give democracy a chance, and vote for their side if you want eight years of Trump unbound. Thank you, Clive Crook. The motion is give Trump a chance, and here making his closing statement against the motion, David Frum, senior editor at The Atlantic. 
One of the ways you know a debater is losing his debate is when he repeatedly insists on arguing against words not only that were not spoken, but they were explicitly repudiated. And you have heard that again and again from the proponents of this debate. Um, and when they insist on shifting the topic away from the question at hand, which is should you trust Donald Trump, to another question entirely, which is what do we do about the problems of people who have been left behind by globalization? I speak as someone who actually is probably more sympathetic to many of the things that Donald Trump purports to want to do than Clive Crook is. Um, that is not the question tonight. The question is, give Donald Trump a chance or no? One of my predecessors at The Atlantic years ago coined the phrase about the American Constitution. He called it a machine that would go of itself. But he coined that phrase to argue against the motion. It's not a machine. It's not a mechanism. This phrase, checks and balances that you hear, there's no mechanism. There are no checks. There are no balances. There are only people. There are only people meeting their responsibilities as citizens or failing to meet their responsibilities as citizens. People viewing with a watchful eye, using their judgment, reading media critically, or people believing lies and being misled by lies and turning on institutions that are crucial to a free society like a free press. The proponents of this debate again and again are urging you not to know what you already know, not to take action based on that knowledge, not to be a citizen, to be a passive consumer, as to wait until the president has committed a high crime and misdemeanor, then you may act. Until then, stay home, watch the Kardashians, leave the power to the powerful. We reject that idea. Be citizens now, before it is dangerous. When you have warning, when you understand the risks at hand, be citizens now. And, uh, and I, I therefore reject the motion, but more importantly, act vigilantly and, of course, peacefully and legally to keep this president under control and to make sure that the Constitution you bequeath has received as little damage as possible as compared to the Constitution you inherited. Thank you, David Trump. The motion again, give Trump a chance. And here, making her closing statement in support of the motion, Gail Trotter, columnist, political analyst, and attorney. I lasted on this stage exactly four years ago to this day. I found myself here to participate in a nationally televised CNN town hall discussion hosted by Anderson Cooper. Two days prior, I had testified before the United States Senate Judiciary Committee about gun violence in America. The hearing took place about a month and a half after the Newtown shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Connecticut. I shared with the senators that guns make women safer and reverse the balance of power in a violent confrontation. This common sense point is one that most Americans between the coasts and not in Democrat-controlled cities understand. I wanted the senators to hear this common sense point before they enacted sweeping restrictions of our civil rights, one right that also might be useful if Trump's critics are right that he is the second coming of Hitler. In the two days between my testimony and standing on this stage in 2013 for that CNN town hall, I was mocked, I was called vulgar, sexist names, I was physically threatened, and I was verbally harassed, mostly by strangers, but also by some friends. The New York Times called my ideas dangerous, and my hometown newspaper, the Washington Post, joined the chorus. I know what it is like to not be given a chance. When you stick your neck out, because you believe in America and our highest ideals and our precious rights. It's not pleasant, it's not comfortable, and it's not safe. Perhaps that very personal experience makes me particularly willing to ask you to give President Trump a chance. 
He is our president. Let him succeed or fail on his own terms. Thank you. Thank you, Gail Trotter. And that motion, once again, give Trump a chance. And here making his closing statement against the motion, Michael Waldman, president of the Brennan Center for Justice. Thank you. Um, This debate is enjoyable to be a part of. It's fun. But this is really not a fun time. This is a time that many of us believe is a time of real testing for us, for our generation, the way other American generations have had to be tested before. As you think about this, I want you to try to remember what you thought before the deluge of uh, outrage, of alternative facts, of tweets by the president before six in the morning. Remember what you thought and remember some things, some words the president did not say in his inaugural address. Very unusual to not say these things. He did not talk about the Constitution. He did not talk about liberty. He did not hearken back to the values that we are all created equal from the Declaration of Independence. These are the things that bind us together as Americans, not what we look like, not our religion. And all of us have to, every generation, renew ourselves to fight for that. And we may not like it. It may feel uh, uncomfortable, but we've got all of us. We've got to fight for that now. Um, like, uh, like a lot of people who write about this stuff, I find myself rummaging through James Madison's notes from the Constitutional Convention quite a bit. And it's really an amazing thing to read. Madison and his fellow framers were really, really worried about a moment like this, about a strong man, about someone like Cromwell. He was worried that we, the people, would become, as he said, tools of opulence and ambition. And he warned us. When Ben Franklin left that last day, he went out, and a woman asked him, well, what is it, Dr. Franklin, a monarchy or a republic? He said, a republic, madam, if you can keep it. We all have to keep it together. We ask you to vote against the motion. Thank you, Michael Waldman. And that concludes our closing statements and round three. So I have the results now. Once again, the motion is this. Give Trump a chance. You have voted twice. It's the difference between the first and the second vote that determines victory. Let's look at the first vote. In the first vote, 27% agreed with the motion. 43% were against the motion. 30% were undecided. In the second vote, the team for the motion, their first vote was 27%. Their second vote was 22%. They lost 5 percentage points. Let's look at the team arguing against the motion. They went from 43% to 72%. They picked up 29 percentage points. That means the team arguing against the motion, give Trump a chance, is our winner. Our congratulations to them. Thank you for me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate was held in front of a live audience at George Washington University in Washington, D.C., Dana Wolf is our executive producer. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. Rob Christensen and Kristen Muller are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. Clea Chang is chief marketing and digital officer. Chris Kamakawa is director of research. And I'm your host, John Donvan. You can now stream all of our debates on demand on Apple TV and Roku devices with the new IQ2US app. For more information on that or to purchase tickets to future events, visit IQ2US.org. 
These debates are made possible by generous contributions from listeners like you and with support from the Connor Davis Family Foundation, David A. Coulter, Robert Epstein, Thomas Campbell Jackson, Christopher W. Johnson Charitable Trust, Ilona Namath and Alan Quasha, George L. Orstrom Jr. Foundation, Jerry Orstrom, Dr. Kelly Posner Gerstenhaber, the Rosencrantz Foundation, the Mortimer D. Sackler Foundation, the Paul E. Singer Foundation, and Edward Stern and Stephanie Rhine. From Intelligence Squared U.S., thanks to all of you.